This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Each semester, the Department of Humanities and Communication at Trine University presents the Humanities Symposia. This symposia is a lecture series in which faculty in the humanities and guest speakers share their current work both with students at the university and with members of the community. The final Humanities Symposium for this semester is about the new statue of Sojourner Truth in downtown Angola and was presented by Luann Holman and Carolyn Powers. A writer, teacher, and storyteller, Luann Holman has been part of Indiana Classrooms for more than 40 years. She has been twice awarded the prestigious Lilly Teacher Creativity Award. She also is an award-winning columnist for KPC Media Group. She is a member of Angola's Historic Preservation Commission and the Downtown Angola Coalition. Carolyn Powers retired from a career in education and has been an active community volunteer in Steuben County. She serves on the board of directors for the new Pleasant Lake Museum and served on the Sojourner Truth Committee with the Downtown Angola Coalition. Their presentation is titled, The Truth About Sojourner. Thank you for that. Um, this is not our first collaboration. Those of you who know us from the community, we uh, have done this many times. But we welcome those of you from the community and uh, students. A lot of my students are here, so I really appreciate. Today we're going to talk to you about how and why Sojourner Truth came to Angola. Why Sojourner was not just a person in history that we might read about in the books, but why it's important to us to our town, a symbol of a strong, black, powerful woman. But let's talk about history. Oh, for just a second. Slavery began in America in the year 1619. Sojourner was six years old when the Revolutionary War began. Think about it. There were only 13 colonies at the time. By the time she was 64, the Civil War came along and there were 20 states and still growing. So the country went through a lot during her lifetime. But you're here to hear about her lifetime and the person who knows more than anyone I know is Carolyn. So Carolyn, would you like to share a little bit? I would love to. When you asked me to do this, Luann, I got to thinking what, what I could do or somebody I knew could do from today that 224 years from the day you were born, somebody like me would still be talking about you with pride and joy, and that the problems were still the problems today. Some of them we still haven't solved. So think about, just think about that as we go through this, because Sojourner's life was actually, is, is the history really of our country, even if you bring it up to today. Sojourner, and I'm going to call her Isabella until she changes her name. Sojourner was born a slave to a Dutch family around 1797. They didn't make a lot of records there then, so we think that's when she was born. She was born in Ulster County, New York, in the Hudson Valley. She was known then as Isabella and called Belle. She was the 12th child to James and Betsy. Betsy was called Mau Mau. As a child, she spoke Low Dutch and, like most slaves, never learned to read or write. I want to add, however, she was so intelligent 
that many of the books I read talked about how she basically memorized a lot of the Bible. And at her speeches when she was uh, an itinerant minister, she would just recite word for word these big passages of the Bible. And I, I was just amazed at, at that intellectual level that she had. Slaveholding in the North was different from slaveholding in the South, especially at that time. So I want to make that difference. Northern landowners may have had not more than 20 slaves and as few as two on their property, where plantations, and I was in the South last week and heard a speech, they said they had as many as 400. The weather was different too, so, and, and the skills that the, that the slaves needed were different. Fortunately, I think Sojourner got a lot of skills from being a household slave and having to do the things around the house. So she, she really did um, learn a lot from her families. Families were often broken up when slaves were sold, however. Isabel was sold, Isabella was sold three times by the time she was eight or nine. And once again, she was sold and then remained with that family for 22 years. There is a story of when she was eight or nine, they're not sure, and she was sold to her th third family. She spoke Dutch. Her family, her, her uh, slave-owning family spoke Dutch. Her parents spoke Dutch. This new family spoke English. And when she couldn't understand their commands, they beat her severely. And she talked about that later. So she survived the ordeals of 30 years of slavery, suffered both emotional and sexual abuse, and like so many abused women, blamed herself often for not being good enough. I thought when I was studying this, what, what would a mother say? Because she did have her mother until she was about nine years old. And I'm going to talk about this book later, but Sojourner dictated her whole life up until about 1850 into a book. This is, this is her mother speaking in this book. My children, there is a God who hears and sees you. A God, Mama. What, where does he live? asked the children. He lives in the sky, Mama replied. And when you are beaten or cruelly treated or fall into any trouble, you must ask help of him, and he will always hear and help you. She taught them to kneel and say the Lord's Prayer. She entreated them to refrain from lying, telling the truth, and stealing, and to strive to obey their masters. Now, New York law stated, and there were a lot of provisions, I'm not going to go into all of them, that um, in New York, slaves would be freed um, as of 1827. Isabella made a deal with her master, and she said, could you could you uh, free me two years earlier if I work like the amount of 10 men? And he said, oh, sure. So that time came, it was 1825, and she was ready to be freed. He said, you know, times are tough, and I really can't afford to lose you. And besides, two years ago, you hurt your hand, so I didn't get enough work out of you for those two years, so you owe me two more. Knowing that God was there for her, as, as had been preached by her mother and preached to many people today, she had a powerful vision that night. A spirit told her to go out on her own, and it didn't take her long to listen to God's calling. The next day, she grabbed her youngest child, she had five by this time, Sophia, and was directed by a friend to go to a family. She, she knew people 
there were people that they knew who could help them. They had to escape to get that help. And this person said, there is a family named Van Wagen. They will take you. She went to that family. They took her. They protected her. They took care of Sophia. And when the master came to get her, he said, she's my property. They, they cut a deal. Van Wagens paid $20 for Sojourner and five for Sophia. They ended up living with this family for one more year. And then uh, she kind of got on her feet. And then she started the second chapter of her life. She really had three chunks of her life. So the first one is, is the, the part of being a slave. So she has now escaped. Now she is a free woman, and she was ready to begin this second chapter. She had people, like I say today, I've got people, I've got friends. She had a strong social network. I think there were a lot of people out there, a lot of citizens who were um, abolitionists, and somehow they would get messages around to others. And she, she was in, kind of in that loop. She had skills from being a slave with the Dumont family and her, her other families. So she set out cleaning homes. She cleaned homes for Methodist families because she was a Methodist. And uh, she set herself in New York. And believe it or not, she actually paid for a house for herself from cleaning. She continued to make lots of close contacts with the women and the men in the, in, um, in the church. She started a, a Methodist church on her own and became an itinerant minister. She spoke against sin, and I wanted to read that quote that her mom gave because that really stuck with her. In 1843, a second vision came to her. God told Isabella to go out and lecture. She considered this her rebirth. She's no longer a slave. She's on her own. She changed her name to Sojourner Truth. She announced that she would travel the land as an itinerant preacher telling the truth and working against injustice. In her life, in all the details I've read, she was accused a lot of doing things that she didn't do. And her master told her he would free her, and he didn't. So there were a lot of ways that she wanted to go out and tell the truth. Now, she's starting this career of sojourning, and how in the world do you get popular when you're a black female that nobody pays attention to? There was no social media back then, but I'll tell you what, she found a way. Being illiterate, she couldn't write, but she found a person named Olive Gilbert and she dictated her life story up until 1850. And they published this book. And if you ever want to read a really cool, this is the unabridged, it's the narrative of Sojourner Truth. This, it, is, it is her voice as it's told to Olive about what she went through. So Olive put Sojourner's words as they were said to her. And it's, this is just called The Narrative of Sojourner Truth. It was published. Um, Sojourner, I want to read one part here where she, she, is, uh, she is describing uh, a scene with her mother who is crying. And she said, she was, in the, Olive kind of refers to Sojourner as she in this, it's not an I. She was surprised to find her mother in tears, and when in her simplicity she inquired, Mau Mau, what makes you cry? She would answer, oh my child, I'm thinking of your brothers and sisters who've been sold away from me. And she would proceed to detail many circumstances respecting them, but Isabella long since concluded it was the impending fate of her only remaining children too, 
which her mother but too well understood. And then they called up those memories from the past and made them crucify her heart afresh. Those are the kind of words that are in this. When people read this book, it brought slavery to them. It made them understand what, what, what a slave actually went through. So that's her first marketing strategy. Her second is something we actually use today. It's called Instagram, but it was the invention of the photo. She had a photo of herself made. In fact, she was one of the first ones. One of the other symposiums, a gentleman talked about these little photos people had made. Uh, and they were Civil War uh, soldiers, and they would give the photos to their, to their wives and, and their mothers to always remember them. Well, she started this. She got a photo made of herself. She had the words, um, let me see, I sell the shadow to support the substance on it. And she had it copyrighted. Copyrighted. Probably one of the first ones to do that. One could say she sold photos to end slavery. So what? <laughs> she needed the funds from the books and the photos to pay for her, for her uh, sojourning. Sojourner had something else too. And, and I, my, I have grandkids who watch YouTube. You know, there's all these people, how to arrange your life and everything. And they, they have such a presence when I see them on YouTube. Now they could be, who knows what they would look like if I saw them in person, but they have a presence. And I'm telling you what, she had a present, a presence, an unforgettable presence. She stood five feet 11, so she's, I'm eight, so she's two inches taller than me. She had a low, toned, commanding masculine voice with a bit of a, that Dutch dialect. And she often put her words into songs, silencing her audiences. It's said that no one who ever heard her forgot her. Frederick Douglass, who actually she was a friend of his, described her as, I love this, a strange compound of wit and wisdom wild enthusiasm, and flint-like common sense. Her speeches mesmerized her audiences. In 1851, she gave a most powerful speech at Seneca Falls at a women's rights convention. Let's listen to hear exactly what she said. Well, children, where there is so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt the Negroes of the South and the women of the North, all talking about rights, the white men will be in a fix pretty soon. But what's all this here talking about? That man over there, he says that women need to be helped into carriages, lifted over ditches, and have to have the best place everywhere. Hmm. Nobody ever helps me into a carriage or over mud puddles or gives me any best place. And ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arm. I have plowed and planted and gathered into barns and no man could heed me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and eat as much as any man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have borne 13 children and seen most of them all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I a woman? Then they talk about this thing in the head. What's this they call it? They call it intellect. That's it, intellect. What's that got to do with women's rights or Negroes' rights? If my cup won't hold but a pint, 
and yours holds a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have any little half measure full? Then that little man in black there, he says women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Well, where did your Christ come from, I want to know? From God and a woman, man had nothing to do with him. If the first woman God ever made was strong enough to turn the world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now they's asking me to do it. The men better let them. Obliged to you for hearing me. And now old Sojourner ain't got nothing more to say. Wit and wisdom, wild enthusiasm, and flint-like common sense is what I hear in that speech. This speech started the third chapter of her life, the final 30 years, where she uh, became known as an anti-slavery feminist, for which she's best known today, and actually is what brought her here <laughs> this year. For the next 30 years of her life, she spoke on behalf of abolition and freedom. In, 19, in, in 1852, um, and remember, her, uh, Sojourner's narrative was published in 1850. What luck. Harriet Beecher Stowe writes Uncle Tom's Cabin two years later. Now, it's a nonfiction rendition of slavery, but people could point to her. It's a fiction uh, of slavery, but they could point to this nonfiction book and say, here's the real story. Absolutely, and it really made a, a, an actual symbol out of Sojourner Truth. Meanwhile, back in Steuben County, it's 1861 and there's talk of a civil war. People are taking sides. Sojourner made her second visit to the area. She was here in the 1850s and she came back. She came because she was on a lecture tour to support the Union troops. Steuben citizens here had a lot of mixed feelings. A large portion of residents from Orland, Angola, Pleasant Lake were all abolitionists and they brought her here. Some other people were reluctant about sending their young men to the battlefield. And we all soon discovered, the people soon discovered this when she started speaking. She was to give a speech on the front steps of the old, old Angola courthouse. On May 19th, 1861, a carriage pulled up around what now is the circle, guarded by volunteers. These volunteers were men of Scott Township who kind of just deputized themselves to keep the peace. And they brought her to town for her speech. I want to read a researcher wrote this book, Luann will talk about it later, and we have her, her exact uh, words that she said. So now picture the carriage coming up, the men, there's a band playing. So they put upon me a red, white, and blue shawl, a sash, an apron to match, a cap on my head with a star in front and a star on each shoulder. When I was dressed, I looked in the glass and was fairly frightened. It seemed I'm going to battle. My friends advised me to take a sword or a pistol. I replied, I carry no weapon. The Lord will reserve me without weapons. I feel safe even in the midst of my enemies, for the truth is powerful and it will prevail. When she walked up to give her speech, she was met with hecklers and one yelled, I'll burn the courthouse down if you speak. And she said, then I will speak upon the ashes. 
Drunken men threatened to tar and feather her, and she replied, it seems it takes my black face to bring out your black heart, so it's well I came. <laughs> Article 13, unfortunately, of the Indiana Constitution forbade Negroes from entering the state. And since she violated the law, she was arrested, did not give her speech that time. She was taken to a jail in Pleasant Lake, which my husband and I are really wanting to know where that was located. We keep looking, we haven't heard, but that's where she was. She was, after a lot of deliberation and, and arguing, she was released on June 2nd, 1861, to try again to make that speech. Although there again appeared some hooligans at the courthouse, she was welcomed, no one was harmed, but, and she gave the speech, but, the law is the law, and she was arrested again after weeks of deliberations then, fines were given, paid, she was released, she continued her journey and ended up back in Michigan where she was then living. When you view the statue, when you view our statue downtown, I just want you to think of the remarkable perseverance, enduring presence that allowed her to survive and escape the ordeal of slavery, to preach, to be an advocate for freedom, denounce slavery, fight for women's rights, women's suffrage, temperance, she became one of the most famous African-American women in the 19th century. And I thank so many people for the research they did on this, but we'd never have known this if it wasn't for that. And now Luann is going to tell you how she came the third time to Angola, but was not arrested. <laughs> It was uh, quite a few years ago, I saw a small ad in the newspaper, the Herald Republican. Underground railroad tour in Orland put on by Peg Dillabone and friends. Now I'm sure there's only a handful of people who know Peg Dillabone. She's our county historian. Um, and she decided that she would do this nighttime walk and then a wagon. So we did. We met at a church. We walked a little ways and she had a wagon and horses and lanterns waiting for us. I thought it would be exciting. I didn't really know it was going to be all about history. I thought, of course I want to be on a wagon in Orland late at night with a wagon. Who doesn't? Got on the wagon with Peg. She began to tell stories. She began to point out the houses of where the abolitionists lived in Orland. This one over here, they hid slaves in this house. This one over here, that's Captain Sam Barry's house. Oh, wow. The house is still there. It's been redone a bit. The house is still there. On up the road, and you could hear the clapping of the horses. You could hear the bells. That's all you could hear in that dark night. There's not much else to hear out there in Orland anyway. And I was hooked. I did not know. As a resident of Steuben County, I did not know that we had played such a part on the Underground Railroad. During that nighttime tour, Peg talks a lot, soft-spoken. She tossed out the word, Sojourner Truth. It didn't mean anything to me. It should have. I apologize to that. I think I'm fairly smart. It didn't mean anything to me. But I love the tour. And it was again when I met Peg, and she said, you know, we ought to have something for Sojourner Truth. Right, Peg, what did she do? Well, she spoke at the courthouse. Oh, right. Right, I need to look that up. She said, you need to look that up. Again and again, we need to do something with Sojourner Truth, is what Peg says. We heard it over and over. But it wasn't until the year 2019 
when the Preserving Women's Legacy Grant was announced that three counties in Indiana would get $40,000 to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the 19th <coughs> Amendment, which I hope you know is the one that gave women the right to vote. They decided it was a big enough anniversary, let's go for the gold, let's see what the communities come up with. It was sponsored by Indiana Humanities and the Indiana Office of Community and Rural Affairs, also known as OTRA, those of you involved in city politics. The conversations began to fly between the historical preservationists, the historical society, those on the downtown board, those on every other board, which Carolyn and I, between the two of us, probably cover most of the boards in Steuben County. The conversations were, who should we get? I thought it should be Peg. I thought Peg was brilliant. Let's have Peg. Somebody else said this and this. And then all of a sudden, one day, there was a whisper. Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth. It was decided upon 100% between all of those agencies and all of those boards that that is the person that we would recognize if we were to get the grant. Now the grant was for $40,000, but we had to have matching grants. Who would give us money in this little white, small, rural town for Sojourner Truth. Well, I'll tell you who started it all. It was those good guys. Well, that's Peg and Mike, by the way. That's uh, Mike Pacheta, uh, uh, the author of the book. Um, we'll talk about him. And that's Peg. There aren't very many pictures of Peg. She's kind of camera shy, but I'm lucky to have that one. Anyway, here's all the good guys. There are no women in this photo, by the way, who gave the money for the women's legacy. But all these good guys at First Federal gave money, a nice outstanding grant, and other small grants along the way. And then it was, if we get the money, what will we do? Will we have a plaque? Will we make a movie? Oh, let's do a statue. That would be wonderful. Let's do a statue. Let's do a full-size, six-foot-four statue. We'll, we'll find someone to do it. We'll, we'll get the grant, and, and we'll find all the people who help us. Who else will help us? The Angola Carnegie Library. Trine University said, we're on board. The Historical Preservation, Pleasant Lake Museum, Cahoots Coffee Shop, the City Council, the Commissioners. Well, you name it, every agency in this town said, let's do it. The application was 40 pages long. I did not write the application. The president of the DAC wrote it, Colleen Everidge, but with help from all of us. Hey, Luann, would you write this part? Yeah, sure. You'll do the tours when she gets here. Oh, of course I will. Uh, hey, Carolyn, will you uh, write this part? You'll, you'll supply all the books and go read to the classrooms, won't you? Yeah, of course I will. Uh, uh, Carnegie Library, Carlin Park, uh, Pleasant Lake, you'll all do something, right? Yeah, we will. We'll give you money, okay. The grant was written, 40 pages. It was so exciting. And then the day came, it was announced. Three communities in Indiana won that grant, and we were one of them. The announcement came at the Brokaw Movie House. We were all there, including the folks from Okra and Indiana Humanities, our mayor, all the people in town, the commissioners, the guys from First Federal, all of us, every board, we filled the Brokaw, and it was announced. I don't know who cried harder that day. 
that we still do, thinking about getting that grant, working so hard to try to get it, to bring her here. But actually, that was the easy part. Next came the hard work. Who would make our beautiful sculpture? Who would it be? So we found a guy, Jim Harris. He lives in Fort Collins, Colorado. He's from Indiana, and he said, I'll take on this project. And so we gave him the project to do. He was uh, worked with Mike Martorello, our uh, KPC Herald Republican editor, who was also on many of these boards I just talked about. Sojourner was done in 30 pieces. He couldn't build it at one time. Look how tall she is and how short he is. Actually, she's on a little pedestal. 30 pieces all had to be made individually and then put together to make her um, the way she was. When he finished it, he and Pat drove the full-size sculpture. They drove it from Fort Collins, Colorado. I don't even know if they locked their door at night because who's going to steal it? It weighed so much. While that's happening, all of us in the community were also working. It's easy for you to say, oh, you got a sculpture. Isn't that nice? Is it? Yes, yes. But what else did we do? Carolyn ordered books, all the schools. The, the museums did everything. We, we all worked really, really hard. One day I said, I think I'll write a play. Why not? Just go write a play, Luann. So I wrote a play on the book of Mike Bechetta, the one that Carolyn held up, of Courage and Conviction. I wrote a play. We ordered books. Everything was, was going along beautifully, and the time had come. We wanted to have an event every night of the week, and we did. When the time came on the week of June 1st this past year, 1921, Pokagon State Park and Kelly Trusty, Kelly is a professor here, you probably know Kelly Trusty, she does the P2 things. Uh, she organized a group of uh, volunteers, there they are, to give the <coughs> abolitionist night walks through Pokagon with lanterns. These people learned scripts from, oh, Captain Barry, Eliza, other characters, true characters from Steuben County who hid slaves, who were abolitionists from real scripts, and they were stationed within the park, and you took the walk, and you would meet a character. They'd hold a lantern and tell you the story. That happened on a Tuesday night. And a side note to that, it was so popular that they just finished their last one about three weeks ago. They continued them through the entire summer. Everyone was so interested. That was the first thing we did. On Wednesday night, Professor Mike Sutton, who teaches in the uh, history department, I'm sorry I don't have a photo of him, he gave a talk on the Civil War in this room on the Civil War in general, which was also well attended. On Thursday, on, on Thursday evening, the Pleasant Lake Museum, they opened their doors. It's a tiny little museum. You could call it a pocket museum. It's in Pleasant Lake. Um, and the owner, uh, the director of the museum, executive director, is Elton Powers, who's in the back row. He could wave. You could do that. OK, there he goes. And, and he is married to Carolyn, by the way. So it's a family affair for these two. They opened their museum uh, with uh, an exhibit, a permanent exhibit of Sojourner Truth. So you can actually go to this wonderful little museum and see that. And it was well, well attended. On Friday night, there were Civil War tunes behind the Cahoots Cafe. People were toe-tapping, and there was a fiddle and banjo and uh, lots of lovely music. Sunday dawned, the Sunday before the unveiling. It was hot. 
It was sunny. And we called around to everybody, who's available to help with the sculpture? Who's available to help set her up? You don't just pull something out of a car and set it down, by the way. A sculpture that weighs hundreds of pounds. And so there were several of us who got there as Jim is kind of contemplating how to get her out of the car. It was not easy. We didn't have enough help. And you can't see it, but there had to be holes drilled in the bottom of her, and there had to be the spikes um, on the cement part that was already laid um, in front of the in front of the uh, courthouse and it had to be cement had to be put inside and had to be set down well the holes were drilled they were drilled wrong we had to go find a bit we had to go find i don't know a jackhammer whatever we had to find all kinds of people and this is saturday morning the unveiling is sunday and it's hot and who is going to help <coughs> us we didn't have enough people this is mike martorello the uh, editor of our herald republican going it's not going to happen <laughs> seriously i took this photo of mike and he's going we're not going to get her out of the car. There's no way we're going to set her up. Um, it's not going to happen. Well, of course, Mike was wrong. And we didn't have enough manpower, so um, we said if only a dog walker would walk by. Well, there was a dog walker who walked by, a young 20-something-year-old kid who was big and strong. And we, excuse us, excuse us, are you busy? He says, well, I'm walking the dog. I said, but, but would you mind helping lift Sojourner Truth up out of the car and onto the, the big, you know, brass pegs? And he goes, sure, but who will watch the dog? <laughs> oh, I will, said the cat. Oh, I will, said the dog. <laughs> so Carol and I became the dog sitters while this <laughs> big guy helped with uh, putting Sojourner up. He's the one in the blue. Uh, Jim, the sculptor, is the one in the green. His wife, Pat, is there, and Elton's there. There were others. I've got a photo of that in a bit. It was hot. We finally, finally, finally got her up. But I tell you what, it took hours. It really took hours just to do this. And um, there's Elton. I'm so happy because <laughs> it worked. <laughs> we were happy too. This is my daughter-in-law, Rachel, with Mike. Like they also helped. We had to call in extra help, and Rachel was uh, great to come by. Well, that wasn't the only thing on Saturday. I told you I wrote a play, because why not, right? So I wrote the play. We had it cast. We had rehearsals. We had costumes. The play was here on Saturday night. One time shot, one time play, one hour play that I wrote. So we had to all go home and get ready for the play. And as I was biking over to this play in my long abolitionist dress, I thought, it is Saturday night in the first of June. It is hot. Who in the world will come to a play about abolitionists in Steuben County? I just didn't think that would be high on anyone's list. But I was wrong. By quarter of seven, every seat in here was full, and we had to turn him away. We had to turn him away. It was really quite wonderful, really. Um, here we are. There's the cast of the play. Following that cast of the play, we had the, the party at my house that night, and it was really wonderful. The next morning, I went over early after words I wanted to see her alone and take my picture a lot of us dressed up in our suffragette sashes because well it was a celebration you know of the women's right to vote you can see how tall she is right there it was attended by so many people here's just a picture there were hundreds and hundreds of people who came to the celebration not just folks from town folks from Wisconsin Michigan Illinois Ohio, 
people from Battle Creek. Some of her relatives came, the mayor, the commissioners, the city council, everybody on all the committees that we worked with. It was a marvelous day. It ended with the speaking of our lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, who has her office, of course, in Indianapolis. She gave Steuben County a thumbs up, as you will see during her speech. After that, we went to a reception at the Klein Museum where Carolyn and I sat on the porch drinking sweet lemonade and cookies. And somebody came up to us and said, okay, girls, what's next? <laughs> we laughed a little. <laughs> Sojourner Truth once said, I am not going to die. I'm going home like a shooting star. She returned to Battle Creek, Michigan to continue her work. She visited Army Post on the East Coast, continued to give her speeches fighting for freedom for slaves and for the right for women to vote. She campaigned hard for the reelection of President Ulysses S. Grant in the year 1872. She was a wonderful campaigner. She hit the trail every day. And on voting day, she was turned away from two polling places because, well, she was a woman, and she could not vote. <coughs> she died at the age of 86. Women got the right to vote 37 years later. On August 18, 1920, the 19th Amendment, an amendment we should all know and keep close in our hearts. She was right. She said, I am not going to die I'm going home like a shooting star. Well, the shooting star is our shining star, erect and tall in front of our courthouse in our small town of Angola, Indiana. And this time we honor her, and she will stay there for a thousand years. And we thank her for her work and for coming here, Sojourner Truth. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.